Hi, I'm Kathy Rushing, host of the podcast Committed, The Entrepreneur Marriage. If your middle name is Restless and you identify with words like innovator, dreamer, change maker, creative, independent, or you are married to an entrepreneur, or heaven help you, you're both entrepreneurs, this podcast is for you. The entrepreneurial journey can be a little wild at times, like uncharted territory. Join me as I talk with others who are at various stages of the entrepreneur process. We'll explore the wisdom and insights they have gained while navigating the ups and downs of the entrepreneur journey. You'll discover that there are many couples who have found ways to thrive in both their business and marriage. I'm joined today by Matt and Joy Egrich-Reed, all the way from Paris. Well, they're still in Paris. They just teleported in for the interview, as one does now with technology. Matt and Joy married a little later than many of their peers, so they put the pedal to the metal. In the five short years they've been married, they made an international move, added two children, and Joy launched a new business, Punchline Agency, just weeks before they moved. And she shares some more big news here on the podcast, something else that will be birthed just about the time this goes live. Listen for the way they stay focused on their mutual goals, the ways Matt is a thought partner for Joy's business, how stand-up comedy provided an important tool for their communication, and an important question they keep coming back to in this busy season of life. Join me now. I think you're going to love this interview. Bonjour, Joy and Matt. Welcome. Bonjour. Bonjour. Thank you. I took two years of French in high school. That was a very long time ago. And there are well, probably no more new than faces. I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'd love to get to know a little bit about you first. Uh, so tell us, where do you live? We live in Paris, France currently. That's where we've lived for the last uh, over, wow, has it been more than four years now? Mm-hmm. Well, goodness. we were just back yeah. in the U.S. for the last mm-hmm. six months for this second wave of COVID. But other than that, technically, yeah. we've our address has been... We still had our apartment. Paris. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> technically, still... Anyway, four years in France. Wonderful. And how long have you been married? Uh, that, we've been... Five. Five years. Yep. Mm-hmm. Five. February 2016. Yes. Okay. Very good. A lot has happened in that. And (laughs) busy five years. (laughs) Very busy five years. So tell us a little bit about what your work is currently. And we'll circle back to the punchline agency a little more, but just describe to us what your work is currently, both of you. Well, I, um, I work for a large French energy company running their sustainable finance program. All that is, that's a nerdy way of saying I help my company develop ways for investors in the market to invest in all the things we're doing around CO2-free energy, so renewable energy or business we do that has a social benefit that it brings. We I develop 
programs that let investors invest in those. Okay. I'm glad you explained that because I all I know is you do sustainable finance and I didn't really yeah. know what that is. It's, so. it's a jargony way of saying, you know, yeah, helping investors invest in some of the really good things we do. Which okay. some of the stuff you talked about, really, because you were sharing that um, you guys have an assisted living place, and a lot of the the mm-hmm. older people with their pensions are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I it's taken me our whole marriage to try to understand what he does, and his job continues to evolve. But I felt like that was an interesting thing of older people. Maybe explain that because that stuck with me. Yeah, there's a, well, oh. there's a lot of big pension funds now that really want to invest in stuff that's good for the environment or good for society. And so it's a, it's a very growing. People are thinking about their legacy. Yep. Like what's mm-hmm. the world that I want to leave for my children? Yes. Things like that. Mm. So cool. Yeah. Very good. And I uh, am the entrepreneur in the marriage <laughs> and I don't recommend starting a business this same month. I think it was a, like a week before moving abroad. Yes. yes. <laughs> As oh my goodness. Led. It was, uh, we started it about a year after we were, exactly a year after we were married, Mm -hmm. and then we moved to Paris. So it's been an adventure, but I usually say, I remember we had a a few different mentors and kind of business coaches that we talked to, and there was a ton of positive feedback, but there was one person in particular that was like, why don't you give yourself just at least a few months while you're there before you launch this? And I just had it for Mm -hmm. several reasons, had it in my head when I needed to launch and that I needed to launch before. Before we left. <laughs> and I wish I would have listened to that person. <laughs> okay. So you did launch before you moved. I'd be mm-hmm. like, yeah, a couple okay. weeks. Like yeah. February 2017, Joy launched Punchline. And we moved oh. March 3rd. March 3rd, 2017. 2017. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. All right. But in short, Punchline Agency is a speaking and literary agency. Um, so we represent people, I say, who are good on the page and the stage. <laughs> Very good. Okay, well, we'll we'll come back to a little more of that. And then you also, in addition to a new business Mm -hmm. and an international move, you added children. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We did. Yep. We have two little kids that are sleeping, and if you hear a cry, it's over the monitor. We'll just turn the monitor down. Um, They were both born in France. So, yeah, they were born right here in our neighborhood here in Paris. Yeah. Well, Emerson, the second one, was born at home. So, Mm -hmm. real close, just one wall over. (laughs) My goodness. What an experience. And was that planned or was that because of the pandemic? It it was planned, but also heightened. So, we kind of had wanted to do it with Millie, um, but our midwife said, you know, I recommend maybe waiting until your second child. That's the best pregnancy to try to do a home birth. So we were kind of going back and forth with Millie. Thankfully, there was a little bit of kind of scary stuff that happened in the beginning with her. So we ended up going to the clinic and it was wonderful. But so then with Emerson, on top of it being the pandemic, we were just like, this is this is the baby that we want to do that with. I just had, I don't speak the language. I try to be very, you know, kind to every French person that will interact with me and mime with me. <laughs> Um, but he's my translator. And so the idea of with COVID, him not being in the room with me was, yeah. that was, you know, 
that was enough. Even if I didn't want to have a home birth, <laughs> I would have willed it just so that I could be with him. And it, it went perfectly. So yeah. Cool. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Matt, um, did you pick up French before you moved there or have you learned just since you've moved? No, I kind of like you, I had a few years of high school French. I had the chance uh, my senior year to do an exchange program for a, just a couple weeks in French, France, where I stayed mm-hmm. with a French family. But, you know, it was a high school level of French. And then I promptly never used it again <laughs> until I got hired for this job. And so that was part of learning the job is also learning the language and the culture, which is different. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He's also very smart. <laughs> of course. I'm like, I'm like, how did you, I mean, he speaks it and I'm with him. He's too humble, but like we will go places and people are like, they think he's Swiss or they think he's somewhere from a European country that also speaks French. I mean, it's, and that makes me feel even more defeated. I'm like, I'll, I just, <laughs> I got bonjour and au revoir down. There we go. <laughs> well, and how fantastic that Millie, your little one, how old is yeah. she? Two and, and a half. Yeah. Two and a half. Yeah. She has to translate I, for us too. <laughs> oh, that's great. But how great for her to pick it up and yeah. be bilingual so young. That's yeah, just cool. going to be fabulous. Yeah. It's yeah. real cute how she, yeah, it's just real cute. To and she kind of knows, like she knows to switch, like, oh, mom, mom needs to hear this language. Dad <laughs> needs to hear that language. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how children pick it up so quickly and mm. are not intimidated. No. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, there's a question I like to ask a lot of couples at the beginning, just kind of a fun get to know you. But if your marriage was a team sport, what would yours be? We were just talking. Well, we were talking about this over dinner. Yeah. Because I, I saw your questions just before we hopped on here. And so we were shoveling some food in our mouth. (laughs) I felt like we kind of went down this rabbit trail. Now, I don't know. What's the technique? Like, does it have to be an Olympic sport? That's our question. Oh, no. No, no, no. (laughs) Can it be more in the area of an activity? Leisure activity. (laughs) Absolutely. We like to relax. Um, No, he came up with it, so you share it. I feel like, and you know, you can correct me if you know otherwise, Kathy, but I believe I've seen canoeing in the Olympics, and I think that's our sport. Oh, uh, awesome. Now, it doesn't have to be the Olympics. <laughs> but it's, it's like uh, somewhere it's a legit sport. Like people could, And so yeah. there's a variety of reasons for that. But one is I think there's a sense that we have in our marriage, and this gets kind of the heart of what your, your podcast is about, of like an entrepreneurial marriage where – we both feel like there's kind of an equilibrium we seek for where some we're both, if someone has to back off a little on something, the other one kind of picks up the slack. And if you've ever canoed, you know, if someone kind of lets up on the paddle, the other person has to, you know, work a little bit harder. Also, you can't move the boat anywhere without being in agreement about, well, let's go over here. The person in back can kind of steer, but if the person in front really wants to, they can stick their oar out and really whip the front of the boat around. That was the part of the analogy that I was like, yeah, that's us. (laughs) (laughs) But when I I feel like when Joy and I are paddling together, which I think is a metaphor people use for marriage, maybe that's where I'm getting it from, we can go very far, very fast. And that was actually one of the other metaphors we used at the beginning of our marriage was we felt like we got married a little bit later in life. So we were in our thirties. I was in both, she was still in her early thirties, I mid thirties, but we knew people who'd been married for 10 years. Right. And they had, you know, had 10 years to have life experience and then they added children and all that. And we said, let's, those people have some miles on their odometer. 
let's get the same amount of miles on our odometer in a shorter period of time. So let's go faster and just get as much. And so you mentioned earlier, it's been a busy five years. That's part of the reason why in our canoe, we've had agreement about where we want to go. And we've been able to like kind of paddle in the same direction. And we attached an electric motor on the back. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of kind of like an e-bike, you know, you you still have to be pedaling, but that e-motor kind of gets you going faster. That's very interesting. So was was France part of the picture when you guys met and decided (laughs) to get married? You take this one. Um well when we were dating, I did find out that he, he, so he worked for a company that's owned by this company that he works for now. And I found out that it was owned by a French company. And I said, and we're in the U S yeah. And I said, you know, if you ever get moved to Paris, I will marry you. <laughs> so, um, we did get married and, um, and then I got off. Then the he job. got the job. So, so. it was, I'm not, I am still shallow though, but, um, but it was so cool. Like this, I think you were the first American expat that they had ever brought over. And it was, we had already, I think because of that, like because of having that conversation, we were already dreaming about like, should we just, because of this odometer visual that we had, we were like, should we just both quit our jobs and just, you know, move abroad, go to Paris for a year because we just want to have this concentrated time together. So we just felt like, whoa when this job posting came up and then it felt like such a fit for him yeah. we were like we've got to do it and so i was already in a season of transition and trying to figure out what was next and interestingly enough and this is one of the reasons that i think i put the pedal to the metal for starting punchline is that his company had had brought some other expat people not from america but other places and their spouses didn't have a job and then came over and there's a thing called Paris. Is it called Paris syndrome? I think something like something that. Something like that. Yeah. Where Paris people have this syndrome. magical idea what Paris is going to be like. Mm-hmm. And then they get here. And if they don't have a job or something to preoccupy them, they just feel lost and, you know, whatever. So they had invested in bringing people over. And then because of the spouse sent home. So his his boss that was interviewing him was like, what will your wife do? <laughs> and my husband was oh. like, well, she's in the process of, she's transitioning right now. And so I already had in the back of my mind, like, maybe I should do this. And so then I just, I was like, okay, we're going to do, I'm going to show his boss that I'm cut out for living abroad. And so I started an American company. (laughs) That is amazing. Um, So tell us a little bit about how Punchline came about. How did that concept develop? Yeah. So my parents have a marriage ministry. They speak and write books um, on marriage. And I had been the director of their conference for several years. And then I started a division for 18 to 35 year olds to get them the material that my parents were teaching at a younger age. Because when I directed their conferences, people would say, I wish I would have known this 20 years ago. Like, why didn't anybody tell us this? So I was like, okay, well, why didn't I do that? So that led into me blogging and uh, making videos. And then I got asked to speak. And so I was doing speaking, but I was also, so I was talking about relationships, but I was also single. And so then it kind of evolved into people asking me to speak on singleness where I was like, I just want to talk to my generation, single, dating, married, whatever. Let's have these conversations. But sometimes people are like, well, she's single, so she must speak on that, (laughs) which was fine for a season. But all of a sudden I was like, I think I've said everything that I can say. And there was the, there was the blog and my dad and I did a video series together and it came to this like perfect moment where I was like, and I think 
I'm going to put a bow on this. You have all the content. You guys can keep doing with it, whatever you want. And they were totally supportive of that. And so I was kind of in a, a sabbatical season and that started right with Matt and I started dating. So talk about the best time to put some miles on the odometer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was free as a bird and bothered him at work all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so we got engaged like, uh, what was this? eight, nine months after, eight months after after started dating. dating. Mm -hmm. So then during that whole time in the beginning of our marriage, I was kind of like, what, what should I do? What's next? I've, I've done this thing with my parents for the last decade. And so speaking was something where I developed all these relationships and I was still helping my father. I was his literary agent and his speaking agent. That was the kind of thing that I did on the side. And so other people would ask me like, Oh, Hey, could you help me? Could you help me? And I kept saying, no, if I did that, I have to start a whole speaking agency. And then when this whole thing with his job came up, I was like, maybe I should just try it. (laughs) And so Punchline started as Punchline Speakers as just a speaking agency. And I just was my dad's literary agent on the side. And then that evolved in in kind of in the background, I, you know, would do one more book, one more book. And so now finally this year, we changed it from Punchline Speakers to Punchline Agency. And now we're developing the literary side uh, as well. So that's what it is. And that's how it started. (laughs) Yeah. And that, and so you started an American agency I mean, for American authors and speakers, but you're well, in France. Yeah. And I say that it's, I mean, that's because that's my network. So as an agent, mm-hmm. my network is with American publishers. As a mm-hmm. speaking agent, all the speakers that I represent, uh, we've got a Canadian in the mix now too. Oh no. Okay. And, and actually I have an author, I have an author who's in, in uh, London, but I got her a uh, deal with uh, an American publisher. So it's just, it's always kind of like as an agent, whatever sphere you're in, it's about like, who's your Rolodex and my Rolodex because of the relationships I've built over the last 15 years is primarily in America, but we're not, it's just, I can't speak French. So I don't know how I, I would really practice. I, I mean, I've had consultations and things here with people who want to get better at speaking or want to learn about books. So I shouldn't say that it's an exclusively American. It's just the irony of me launching a business that's primarily in America as we moved abroad. <laughs> Gotcha. Yeah. And on your website, you have a picture of Matt. You're, you refer to him as your unpaid intern. <laughs> that's going to so, come back to bite you. Yeah, I uh, know. <laughs> Give her a run for political office. Yeah, or interview for a job. <laughs> unpaid internship you're still involved with. Uh, yeah. So tell, tell us, Matt, about your involvement and what part you played in helping to launch this idea or along the way, how you have been part of this new business? Yeah, I think it's part of a bigger conversation that I've had really since the beginning of our courtship, which was around, you know, what kind of future did we see for ourselves and what did we want to do? And Joy has a lot of gifts that are really suited to the marketplace. I mean, she's just, she's good at helping people cast vision, but then also telling them how she thinks it would be best to get to their vision. She's just really great to bounce ideas off of. She's not afraid to take risk. And so I think it became clear early on that like at some capacity, we both at least thought, you know, and kids change a lot, but thought probably we'd both want to work outside the home. And so then it just became a matter of, okay, well, what does that look like? And I really liked my job at the time, and then it turned into this thing abroad. But like I said, this is, you know, it's a kind of an office job with some remote working, but this is kind of what I'd like to do. And Joy was in a season of really 
trying to bottom out what the next thing looked like. And it ended up being punchline. But I think that kind of grew out of this space of like, let's figure out what works for us. And so my role in that, I think, has been um, to come alongside her in that, to be a, a thought partner, as we like to say, you know, sometimes looking at some of the businessy aspects of, you know, a PL or whatever, she can do that as well as I can. But just having a second set of eyes on that. I think I've interviewed everyone who's joined the team. And part of that's just the agency because Joy founded it is based around like her vision and her approach to things. And I know her pretty well, obviously. So I think I'm a good filter for people who collaborate with her. He's also a really good interviewer. And then, (laughs) (laughs) but then also, and this gets into some of our marriage rhythms, just when we talk about what we hope for ourselves personally, professionally, punchline necessarily comes into that. And so digging in with joy about, and, and being a mirror for her of like, you know, the better we get to know each other over the course of our marriage, the more I'm able to say, like, this is something that doesn't give you energy. This is what I, where I see the growth happening. Because, you know, she doesn't always, we all have blind spots. And sometimes she won't be kept picking up on a, a given signal as fast as I might. And so it's been great. I love it. It totally helps me scratch. And, it, you know, I work for a huge company. And, you know, this is a really small, nimble company that can change real quick. And, like, ideas are, like, what it thrives on. And, it just helps me scratch a different business itch being part of it. So I'm like, I'm so proud of it. And I love participating with Joy in it. That's great. Did you have any experience, Matt, with entrepreneurship prior to this? Like, what was your, what did your parents do? Yeah, I well, my experience was that my parents are both academic. Well, my dad is in, in the academy at, at the University of Vermont for a long time. My mom had a variety of roles. She was at the university, and then she also ran a couple nonprofits. My, I think where I really got interested in business growth and development entrepreneurship was when my first job with my current employers. I worked for a company called EDF, and they were getting started in the Western United States developing wind farms, and I kind of came in to help them build out that business. It was really fun, and I liked it, and it just kind of went, from there but i'm also just i like learning and i like i really really love learning and i like asking questions and i find that that's just like a huge part of entrepreneurship where like you can't be afraid of something you don't know you're like well i guess we have to learn this because the business needs it and i i just love that it's always something new yeah for sure for sure so since starting it what would you say is a high point of having this entrepreneurial venture? Well, I think, you know, to what Matt was saying about just kind of his involvement and liking to be a learner and asking questions, I think the high point for us is that with both of our jobs, I think we are genuinely curious people. His field is something I knew nothing about. Mm-hmm. When we dated, I just, people say, what does he do? And I say, windmills. <laughs> windmills? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I feel like I've learned a lot from him. And I think he, this, the world that I'm in, you know, a lot of my clients are faith-based and he didn't grow up in a Christian home. And so that whole world of conferences and things that I was a part of, you know, he wasn't familiar with. And so there's so much about where we came from and the jobs that we do that I find that if we didn't like learning, I think our marriage would be 
our date nights would be so much more yeah. like, less fun. Like if, or if we were married to someone who didn't like to talk about work, I think we both just love to talk about work. I think sometimes we intentionally will be like, let's talk about something else, which can yeah. be fun too. Yeah. But there's an energy of just not even just like, Oh, let's talk about the nitty gritty of windmills. It's more of just like office dynamics or like people that we interact with and like, understanding cultural differences like yeah you you can't take a job abroad if there's not some level of curiosity mm-hmm. you have with cultural mm-hmm. differences you'd go crazy i mean we mm-hmm. do go crazy sometimes but it's still like <laughs> we're like why or we like to compare and contrast american and french culture and oh i bet so i would say that's the that's the high of the entrepreneurial life i think brings out something in both of us of just a natural like a curiosity, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And what about a low point or experience, something that has been really challenging since you've started this new business? I don't know what he would say, but I, I feel like part of me did feel torn that first year living abroad, knowing that, you know, because of our age, if we were going to, you know, try to have children that we probably had a shorter window And so it was kind of like, there was kind of like a lot of pressure on that first year of like, just maximize, do as much as we can. And so the added weight of starting a business, you know, was a lot. And I, you know, in the beginning, you're just like, is this going to work? And so actually six months in, I was like, I'm done. And I started talking to people about selling it because I had a good lineup of speakers. It was branded well. And there were people that were interested And so I was like in this season where I was just like, I was about to sell it off. (laughs) And then I had a business mentor kind of say, just pare back and do the minimal that you can. You've created something really cool here. Don't like, don't overdo it, but just hold on to what you've done because it it Mm. is good. And so I, cause I, I'm someone who likes to under promise and over deliver. And I felt like I'd gotten into the situation where I had over promised and it was killing me. And I was just experiencing anxiety. And I was like, this is taking, like, I love to have, I'm simultaneously having so much fun in my marriage in this country. And then there's this like weight that I made the wrong decision to do this. And so then I just told all of my speakers, like these things I said I was going to do, I can't do like, can't book your travel, can't do this stuff, you know, and then it simplified. And I think that's kind of been a conversation we've continued to come back to of like, what is enough? What does success look like? What does success look like in this season with children? Yeah. My business partner, she has two young children as well. And we're just like, we love what we do and we want to keep loving what we do. And so the question of like what enough is, we need to keep coming back to. So that for me, the the six month, I think it was about the six month mark in mm-hmm. here where I was just like, I want to be done with this. I made the wrong decision. That was the, kind of the lowest point, but then it turned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What did those conversations look like between the two of you? Mm. I, I don't, I sometimes I block out things <laughs> like that. I like to no, remember it's a, the I'd stuff. actually <laughs> forgotten that she almost mm. sold it. And then yes, that, that conversation of like, just, pull it back to like the essential thing. Yeah. At that point that had the ring of truth to it, that like just pair, because I saw that joy was really felt like it was really, she was carrying a weight. And so at that point, I feel like the conversations looked a lot like me reminding joy, cause she'll get excited about it. And she's an entrepreneur. So she gets excited about idea, And she like wants to like run it out and see if there's 
something there. And for me to be like, it's okay, like just maybe let's try and recalibrate here. Let's just maybe let's do this thing that we said we were going to do where we just kind of keep it simple. And so kind of like, I don't, but at the same time, that's what makes her great. I don't want to stifle that reflex be like, no, no, like, let's just throw this other thing against the wall. Maybe it'll stick. Who knows? It could be really cool. It could be really fun. <laughs> and so it's not easy to be like, Hey, maybe don't do that just right now. Keep that on like the back burner. Cause I love, love, love that part of her. But I think that kind of, that's how I saw in that season of like, me being her friend and her husband of just kind of bring back like just that looks cool i agree but remember why we're sort of just breaking a little bit now yeah Yeah. and bring it back to this thing that it can grow from and then what happened is that it did in fact grow from that point yeah and one of the things that i think matt said he's a learner and so he does he takes cues of like what works with this thing that I'm married to and what else now you're more yeah but one of the things when we were dating I was really into improv comedy we were living in Portland at the time Portland Oregon and and one of the principles of improv comedy is saying yes and to the person you're in the mm-hmm. scene with so if they offer some idea or something crazy you don't reject that because it shuts down the scene and then the air is sucked out of the stage. So even now, if it's something... Joy, are, are you saying you were doing mm-hmm. improv comedy? Okay. Yes. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. Um, it's funny. Someone recommended as I was getting into public speaking and doing that more and more, I would always do a live Q&A at the end. And someone said, hey, you know, improv comedy class would be great, you know, because you you're quick, but you can become even quicker if you do that. So I was like, oh, I'll take one class. And I just loved it. And I think I did it for five years. Yeah. It was like a really significant part of her life before we moved over here. Yeah. We looked for it here. There was one English speaking improv group and we went to one show and I decided not just to do it. <laughs> but in Portland, Portland has a really great improv scene and How I learned fun. so much there. And I always recommend it to people who want to get into public speaking to take an improv class. But so that principle of not, you know, sucking the air out of the, the scene in the room, he then even incorporated that into his wedding vows. Of, he said, <laughs> I promise, because he knows I'm an ideas person. He said, I promise to always yes and you in our marriage oh. uh, rather than no, but. And so I'm fine with hearing. I'm not someone that can't hear a no, but the yes and is a way of even if you have an objection or you have a point of clarity or he knows that I'm about to say yes to too much. He'll go, yes, I love that idea. And let's think about the conversation we had six months ago when you said, you know, that's <laughs> for me, that doesn't deflate me. That's like, oh, okay, yeah. But if someone just says no to me, I'm like, wah, wah. <laughs> so. <laughs> I love that concept and the fact that while you guys are getting used to being married and having married a little farther along than some of your friends and having your own patterns and, you know, lifestyle. So trying to combine that and start a marriage and business, uh, it's a lot going on. And part of the purpose of these interviews and conversations is connecting with couples that demonstrate that you don't have to give up everything to have a successful business, Mm -hmm. that you can have a very successful business and a healthy marriage, but it Mm -hmm. requires 
conversations like you're having. And like you said, Matt, come back to it again and say, yes, and remember, <laughs> mm-hmm, we're, yeah. we're having a bit of that conversation ourselves. We've been married 41 years, and my husband just bought a business <laughs> because the business that we've had for 22 years in assisted living uh, it was a little challenging last year in the pandemic. Yeah. Um, still is. There's some some of our communities that are still building. So he bought a business, which means he's working every day again. And so mm. we're finding ourselves currently having to have these conversations oh, again no. about mm-hmm. how we're going to have balance in that. Yeah. 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 Very good. Currently, I understand, Joy, that you have a big announcement <laughs> that you'd like to share. Yes. Go ahead and tell us what that is. This is one of those ideas that uh, (laughs) he yes-anded, whether, yeah, no, it was, I'm glad he yesed it because, yeah, we, as I mentioned, we went back to the U.S. for six months during the second wave of the pandemic. We had just had a baby and we, France was going into another lockdown, which meant our 700 square foot apartment, potentially not leaving the house for more than an hour a day. That's how it was the first time. And we didn't know when our, our parents would get to meet their new baby, uh, grandbaby. Mm-hmm. So we were like, we had a few day window before the borders closed and we were like, let's go. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we got out. Yeah. So in that space of just having the grandparents and, you know, all the childcare and all the support, there was a lot of space for Matt and I to dream. We have an annual read family retreat, we call it, which is us, you know, dreaming, looking at the past year, dreaming about the next year. And so my parents let us do that with children. And because I'm in the- Because the year, the two years before, Millie came with us on that retreat. And <laughs> the first one, we went to the middle of London with yeah. an infant. In like and, a hipster hotel. Oh, yeah. Was yeah like it was bumping every night. It was not People calm like, and quiet <laughs> reflection. Yeah. <laughs> we were literally sitting in the lobby of this hotel with like a three month old in a stroller. And yeah. People at happy hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, pretty so pretty we were, sexy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we were like, man, how are we going to do this with another newborn and mm-hmm. a two and a half year old? But um, so we were able to do it, had two day full days alone. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things with the work that I do in the, you know, the communication space, speaking, writing, pandemic greatly affected our speaking uh, agency this year. And I just think that space is changing so much. Even the publishing industry, I call it the wild, wild west. You know, you've got self-publishing now. There's just all these different things. Um, And traditional publishing used to be kind of this you know, this club that like, once you got an agent, then you could kind of find what you needed to do to get traditionally published. And, and there's so many people now because of the way the communication space and online marketing and all that has changed, that it's, it is changing who can get traditionally published. And so there's a lot of people that have great ideas. And I know at this point that I can't get them traditionally published. And so I'll say, you know what, why don't you self-publish for now? That'll, you know, if it does well, that'll help build your platform and, and we can go from there. Well, then I found that so many people didn't know where to start with self-publishing. And, you know, I had a little bit of insight here and there, but I finally was like, maybe I should just self-publish something so that I can learn the process. So I have more empathy and understanding and guidance that I can give people if I tell them to do this so that they can be successful. So I'll just write a little children's book for Millie and we'll just put it through, you know, Amazon direct printing or whatever. Well, 
It always starts with something like it's that. Like, it always starts <laughs> so small. And, and, turned, then... and then, but simultaneously, I was doing these cohorts with, uh, you know, hopeful writers and just kind of helping people. And I was working on all this content that I was teaching people. And I was like, there's like almost a book here. So yeah. I, in that time again of being back in the US, I just had space and focus and I wrote an entire book. <laughs> Wow. And yeah. Congratulations. So, thank you. Yeah. It's called How to Get to the Publishing Punchline. And so it's kind of demystifying where to start, how to get going, how to build a really great proposal um, that will get attention from an agent like myself. But also, I always say that the proposal process is a really clarifying process for if your idea, a lot of people have a book idea in their head and they're like, I think this is a really good book idea, but they don't know how to flesh it out to figure out, is this actually a book or maybe it's just an Instagram post. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so the process, yeah, the process that I take people through in this book will get them to that point where they'll figure out, is this actually a book? And then should I traditionally or self-publish? It's not as easy as people think it is. I mean, there is, it, it is an investment. Um, it's, you got to get people around you. I mean, you have to have cop, you know, copy editors, developmental editors, proofreaders, cover designers, typesetters. Then if you want to do marketing and PR and all those things that a traditional publisher typically brings to the table, right. but it's, it's, there's different, I know successful authors who have been traditionally published who are now self-publishing. Hmm. And then there's people who have never been published and don't want to touch self-publishing because they want the credibility of traditional publishing. So there's there's tons of pros and cons, and it's not a one size fits all. Like if you've never, if you don't think you can get a traditionally publishing deal, this is the only way to go. There's a lot of questions and thoughts that I present to people of how they can figure out, okay, this is the right path that I'm going to pursue. So, okay. And your yeah. book comes out when? June 13th. Fantastic. We are recording this at the end of May, but we will probably release around the time of your book. So, and and where can people find this book? They can get it on Amazon, they can get it on Apple Books, and they can get it on Barnes & Noble. Okay, great. Yeah. Great to know. And the title of your book says that it is fun writing a book, but is that really true? Yeah, well, it's so it says a, a fun and slightly aggressive guide to getting your book into the world. And so I break it into 30 days because that's what I've done with people. So I know it's possible to do what I'm telling someone to do in 30 days. Now, if you take 90 days, that's fine. I break it up in that way because I just, I know what's digestible because I've had people do this. And I, as I mentioned, I did improv comedy. I love humor. Um, It's one of the reasons Punchline is named Punchline. It's not just, you know, Punchline Uh of a joke. Punchline is, you know, what is the important phrase at the end of a joke or a sentence, Mm -hmm. but I love comedy. And so the way I write naturally is just I like, I mean, if you don't think my humor is funny, you're not going to think it's funny. But if you like my style of humor, (laughs) this makes that process a little bit more fun. And I help people not take themselves so seriously. I think there's just kind of this idea that to write a book just has to be so like heavy and hard. And I think really a lot of people feel heavy about it because they feel so alone in it. And so I also wrote in that way, the whole book is a dialogue. So I'm writing as the agent but then I'm also the mind of the author because I've been on both sides. So yeah, it's, it should be fun. It's got a lot of illustrations in it because I like to read books with pictures, not, <laughs> not, not just because I have a toddler. <laughs> but yeah, I think people will enjoy it if they want to write a book and they like to have a good time. <laughs> 
Oh, fantastic. Well, congratulations on that accomplishment in the midst of, goodness, two little bitty kids. It's just, (laughs) I don't know. I remember those days and I I just can barely remember getting through the day, you know, and (laughs) feeding everybody and... But it does take a lot of time to feed everyone. Anyway. I, I did tell Matt when he got home tonight, I was like, it was a bit of a day with Millie. She had her first defiant, yeah. uh, I told her not to eat a cookie. And then I walked into the other room and then she came into the other room and was like, me ate the cookie. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. Uh, and she is so adorable. Yeah. I, you know, and it's really hard to be mad at them. When I know. So darn I, know. Cute. I find a way sometimes, <laughs> but... <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you for sharing that. And um, I look forward to reading it because I'm kind of thinking about a book at some point. So we'll maybe have a conversation later, Joy. Yeah, I want to shift for a little bit to just kind of general marriage topic. Your dad being so well known for his book and conferences around love and respect that uh, we kind of have to cover a little bit of just, you know, general marriage topic. And the Elimination Project was the one you did with your yeah, dad, yeah. right? Where you talked about dating and singleness and faith. Yeah. And, you know, from, I think you said from 18 to 35 was kind of the audience. Yeah. And um, then you got married. <laughs> and as someone that has a lot of information about marriage, And yet, it's important for you guys, Matt and Joy, to form your own marriage and what is unique about that marriage. And sometimes it means a little bit of pushing away or pushing against uh, what your parents did or how they chose to have their marriage and raise their children. And as someone with three married adult children, I've experienced this a little bit about, you know, so many things that Mark and I have learned and, and we want to keep our kids from having to experience the painful way. Yeah. But the reality is they have to figure out some things on their own. So we, we don't offer much unless they ask. It's been very rare that we bring up anything specific, you know, to their marriage. But I'm curious about the process that you guys went through in establishing your marriage, your relationship, you know, maybe there was a little bit of intergenerational tension, but what, what did that process look like for you guys? Yeah, I think it's funny when we started dating, I didn't, I didn't know about Joy's parents' ministry or her ministry. People (laughs) told me, oh, she like talks about relationships, but like, I really didn't know that much and people kind of made it a little bit of a thing so i was i actually didn't dive into it because i thought eh, i just kind of want to get to know her and i feel like if i learn too much because i kind of sensed that i liked her i didn't want to like put on some like artificial air of like maybe what i thought she was looking for Mm -hmm. and so i kind of went in a little bit blind i've obviously learned a lot more (laughs) uh since then uh and i would say that the cool thing about the family I married into, I have wonderful parents that have like a flourishing marriage, married, what, 47 years now. So we both come from like very wow. stable, long lived marriage. It's like something I'm so grateful for. Yes. Uh, and both our parents mm-hmm. do this. But you asked about Joy's parents. They have really given us the freedom 
to like figure it out. I think they kind of think, you know, kids, you know, you know this if you have kids, but they learn from what you do, not from what you say. And I think they kind of have a posture of you've either learned it or you haven't. And, but they're there for us. And so it's such a cool thing to have um, two wonderful people who really are, Mm. they are, they practice what they preach, who are there as a resource for me. They welcomed me in, you know, very early on into the family and to ask if I have questions about how would you approach this, but then also to know that like they're giving us like, kind of like you said you do with your kids. They give us the latitude to figure things out on our own. And especially so after we've had kids, because I think they understand at that moment, you kind of form a new thing. You have a, I mean, you do when you get married, obviously, but I feel like that becomes very clear once you have your own kids of like, this is your thing now. And, and, and your family of origin is kind of on this other ring outside of that, even if you're quite close with them, which we are. So I would say it's been this really great balance that they've done of providing wisdom when it's asked for, but giving us room to create our own family culture and dynamics and rhythms. And I've been very, very grateful for that. And I'm also grateful for what Joy's brought to the marriage, because obviously being a part of their conferences and what they do, she retained a lot, but of course, you know, knowing it and implementing it are are two different things. (laughs) I don't know. But she's, (laughs) it's in there. And, 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 um, I've learned a lot from being, from being married to her. Yeah. I mean, Mm. I think, as he said, I think we feel the same about his parents as well. I mean, they've done a really great job of giving us advice when we ask for it. Um, which I think as parents, I want to remember that because it's, I mean, even when we were home for six months, like all basically living together, Mm-hmm. And I'm so close with my parents. There were like a couple times that my parents kind of like elbowed me about something that I was doing. And I'm like, I I don't know how I'm not going to be able to do that more. Like when my kids are adult, like I tell everybody what I think about everything. <laughs> and so the fact that the fact that they restrain themselves when we were under the, the roof and I know they think we probably, I was, you know, and they've even kind of jokingly said, and I, I feel like this is something that I, I feel like we should do when our kids are older too. But like, they've said to you, like, because you're our daughter, because she's our, our daughter, like, you know how I think parents can sometimes like side with their kid mm-hmm. and they're like, if, if you enjoy getting into a fight, we're going to side with you kind of yeah. jokingly, but like <laughs> to really like make that spouse that marries in feel like, Hey, you've got in-laws that are, have got your back. Her dad said that to me right after yeah. I, cause I asked him if he was okay with me proposing to her and yeah, he was, he was great. But then he, he mentioned that at the beginning, he said, look, you know, this is a dynamic and I just want you to know, like, I'm with you. It's 50, like, it's not 50, 50, it's actually 51%. You've got the 51%. And it struck me as like, that's an interesting approach to have, but I've realized the wisdom of it because as the son-in-law, your default is, well, the parents are going to side with joy, but, and they've stood by that. Like I've really felt supported by them. <laughs> Sometimes it's a little bit like, Joy's like, Oh, you're just going to side with Matt. Not because of that, but because She's obviously like, I'm right in whatever we're the secret. No, no, but it's, it's, uh, it's been, um, anyway, that's part of the wisdom I think that they've brought. Yeah. But really they don't, they don't insert themselves. And, and that is, yeah, I think there's a lot of tension that, kids and parents have 
today. And I mean, we definitely, I would say the, the thing that there was a phrase you said about like distancing or whatever. I think for me, like the family that I grew up in, the hardest dynamic is that I really do admire both of my parents for different things. Like they both broke up or they broke up. They both grew up in broken homes. And, you know, Mm my mom, you know, had to go to daycare, you know, at the neighbor's house and had to wait all day, like by herself for her mom to return. So the idea of like ever doing anything other than taking care of us kids was like, that's all she wanted in life was to like have a home and kids that she could just love on and I'm so grateful for that and she's so good at it but like I think that's the thing that I've had to grow in the most is being with being an entrepreneur and being a wife and being a mother is that I'm not wired that way as as strongly and and I actually feel like I'm a better mom when I have this outlet of a business so that was the hardest like tie to break because it's like I'm not trying to be different than my parents I just am different than my parents. And I do have a bit of my dad's, you know, the the speaking and the writing. I, I enjoy those things. I enjoy working with people and dreaming with people. And he and I, that's just, we love working together because it's just like ideas and talking. And, and so there's this, that's the tension as a woman that I have felt because I also so loved what my mom did for us. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, knowing that story of her getting dropped off then, you know, as we've sent our daughter to daycare, I'm like, am I doing that? <laughs> um, and that's yeah. something I think that we've had to process. And for Millie, going to daycare has been developmentally <laughs> great for her. Because my mom was a early childhood ed. That was her. So she, you know, oh, had okay. stuff for us. And I, like, love playing with my kids. But I'm not thinking, like, oh, they're at this age. And therefore, they should be doing sensory play like I don't that's yeah. not my DNA yeah. <laughs> so having a job that you pursue working from home but outside of parenting I guess you yeah. could say we used to say outside the home but yeah. now everybody's mostly working <laughs> yeah, I at mean, home. I, my corporate job I was working from home quite a bit this year a lot of times how in the world did you do that with little bitties <laughs> But everyone, but the thing was, everyone was in the same situation, right? Yeah. So we all just got used That's to true. every conference call, at least my job, every conference call we were on, someone had a kid screaming in the background. Like it just always happened. Mm-hmm. So it just became part of the, the deal. Well, and we, one of the things that really helped, it was kind of makeshift at first. And then we ended up, one of our speakers, uh, Jefferson Bethke and his wife, Alyssa, yeah. they, um, and you can, it's on Punchline Agency, you can get their calendar that it's like this family planning calendar and we sit down every Sunday night and we go through it and we write his schedule and my schedule, which is still great now that he's going to be back in the office, but working from home that we just tag teamed and it was like, okay, we know when you've got this, I've mm-hmm. got that. And um, I would say for, because so many people, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, are going to have some type of hybrid home office space, getting synced on your calendars yeah. and having a visual i know some people have electronic sync calendars but there's something about like we have it on a wall and it says what we're doing but also the thing that's so cool about the bethke's calendar is it's it's got like what are we going to do to refresh this weekend mm-hmm. and what's our word for the week and what are our prayer requests and what's our grocery list and you know stuff like that so and i think what's cool about the 
this gets a little bit into one of the, you asked, how did we do this with little kids? We have tried to establish rhythms in our marriage of like what each day of the week looks like. So the calendar is part of that, but there's something that's really, I love the efficiency of like the calendar on my iPhone, but there's something that's really slow about sitting down with a giant paper calendar with your partner Mm -hmm. and saying, this is what I need to do this day. What do you need to do? This is what I need to do. And, and talking about it in, in some cases, negotiating that gets back to the canoe thing. It's like, who's going to be paddling hardest this day? Uh, which way do we want to go? And I like the slowness of the calendar. It takes us, you know, 30 minutes to fill it out, but it's also a moment where we connect mm-hmm. and just, and that way too, I can get to Wednesday and be like, Oh my goodness, this is a day. I know that joy had some big meeting with a client or maybe one of her author's books is dropped, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. At least I'm going into my week with an awareness of what she's facing and, and vice versa for her. And the 30 minutes that it takes to fill out that calendar is 30 minutes less of like fighting because one of us forgot that the other person yeah. had told that such and such was happening. Uh, it's usually me. Yeah. But, you know, like, <laughs> but yeah, it's like, it really is just, it, it takes some time on the upfront, but it, I think where we fight the most is over like missed expectations mm-hmm. and feeling like I told you this thing that you didn't hear. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love that idea. And it, it reminds me of uh, Stephen Covey's book, seven habits yeah. of highly effective people. And I used to use his planner Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. when my kids, yeah. you know, I had three kids home, but that was just me. And then we had a calendar on the wall that we would fill in. But I love that idea of doing it together and of kind of hitting different areas that you just need to stay in touch on. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially, like you said, prayer requests or a word for the week just to keep you focused and and that rhythm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, rhythms have been really important to us. Yes, yes. For a while, it seemed like every day was the same, right? And <laughs> and maybe, I'm hopeful that maybe this is a positive thing that comes out of the pandemic, this idea that uh, for the longest time, you know, most people went off to work, what they did, their family didn't really understand, mm-hmm. or they had this life at work. Mm-hmm. They weren't as in touch with what was going on at home or with their kids. and or the people at work don't recognize what their life is like at home. And we've just, I think, maybe become more rounded. Mm -hmm. And because we are, you know, as people, we are, we want to be whole and we want work to be part of our life, not all of our life. Yeah. 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 And I don't know if it's just because of, you know, seeing my parents always work together, whether it was when my dad was a pastor. I mean, my mom was, you know, part of the ministry. And then, you know, now with what they do, I mean, they're together all the time. And I love that. And so since he has a job that doesn't allow that, I, I always joke about how I just, I want us to be able to work together and maybe he could come <laughs> and work with punchline. And, um, because I, I make it a unpaid full time intern. unpaid internship. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> but, um, I just feel like that to me, and maybe it's a personality thing, but also maybe it's what it was supposed to be type mm-hmm. thing, because it's, you know, the whole thing of like pre-industrial revolution, the family had a family business and they all worked together and the children learned the trade and everybody was together. And then industrial revolution happened and 
you know, men went off to, you know, well, men and women went off to work and, mm-hmm. you know, then war happened. And then it's just like all, all these things that have changed the, the nuclear structure of the family. And I do feel like with the pandemic, you know, it took its toll on a lot of people, on all yeah. of us. But for the couples that did have that realization that you're talking about, it does feel like it, it echoes a little bit of what I think should be. And that's why I think I get so much energy when he does participate and I get to participate in his work, um, even though we're not doing the same job yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I love having him at home. <laughs> and it was yeah. cool too, because, yeah. you know, having kids and it's like a really amazing time developmentally because it really does feel like every day is different. So I was grateful for that too. And mm-hmm. that, yeah, and we ended up being in a position where the pandemic was you know, it was difficult for us, like it was for everyone, but it didn't, it didn't hit us in the same way it hit some other folks and that we held steady and kept our jobs and all that. So that was, we felt very fortunate mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Were you able to have a profitable business during that time, Joy, or did you have to, like you said, you shifted and were spending a lot of time writing yeah. and putting this book together? Yeah. Well, actually that, that happened more in this part of the year, but for 2020, the interesting thing was that I was already slated to go on maternity leave. And in France, I was going to take four months because that's the minimal amount that they take. Some people take a long time, but I was like, I'm going to take full wow. four months. So I already had planned mm-hmm. to cut back on the literary side of things. And then my partner, she directs the whole speaking side of things. So that took a huge hit. The trajectory that we were on we had doubled the year before and we were on a trajectory. Our, our goal was to do triple and mm-hmm. it went back down to what the first year was. So we've always made a profit, but it was definitely much lower than our goal was. And even now yeah. it's still, I mean, there are some events that rescheduled multiple times or canceled altogether. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah, it was a huge hit on the speaking side of things. Um, but with the literary side of things, because I was already going, I'm going to be out of pocket. I was like very focused on getting all these book deals that I had in motion wrapped up before maternity leave. So what I normally think I would have done in a year I did before going on maternity leave. So that, that helped sustain us because of the hit that we took with the speaking side of things. Yeah. Well, I'm mindful of the time and I just want to wrap up by asking if there's anything else you guys would like to add to someone maybe a little farther behind, either considering an international move (laughs) or starting a business. I think in both cases, like curiosity is going to serve you well. Like don't move abroad. First of all, moving abroad won't make some people are like, if I just get out of here, you know, I'll get away. It's no, wherever you go, it's true. That old chestnut about wherever you go, there you are. That's exactly correct. Like Paris is by far the most beautiful city I've ever been in. And like, it isn't going to make you happy if you're not already. So, but what's fun about it is being curious seeing challenges of a foreign culture is sort of interesting instead of frustrating which they can definitely be yeah it's way easier to be curious and yeah and to people or people wherever you go there's it's really very enriching so be curious but also i think in terms of being an entrepreneur what i've seen with joy is if you're she's very curious so when someone's like well this is the way it's been done and she'll be like 
tell me why that's the case and kind of just keep asking questions. Okay, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, so then all of a sudden she ends up maybe saying, well, I feel like I can help people who are trying to self-publish a book or I, I'm going to launch a yeah, kind of interesting business model that's like a way that people can can publish, but in a self-published way, but with a team of people to help them addressing a problem that she sees not being addressed. So I think in both cases, curiosity serves well. I curiosity has probably been our our word this year. Yeah, yeah. I would say for the entrepreneur, just continually coming back to the questions of what is enough and what is success. And, you know, kind of at the end of my life, like, what will the answer to those questions be? And so I think mm. sometimes it's so easy to just think, okay, well, success it means we have to have numbers or we have to have, you know, but it's not always that. And what, you know, I'm in a place where I'm not a single mom, you know, and I'm having to, you know, put food on the table. So I have a little bit more flexibility of like, what does success feel like to me? So I understand I'm speaking from a bit of a place of privilege, but my mom always says to me, like, and it kind of comes back to Matt saying, like, I have a lot of ideas and I can get myself in over my head sometimes with what I currently have the capacity to do because this is a season. Having toddlers and babies mm -hmm. is a season. Um, yeah. And as much as I love to work, like, there will be times where I can work more and I want to be present and delight in my children. And so my mom always says like, mm -hmm. don't let this thing rob you of your joy. And I, I do mm -hmm. like my book subtitle says, like I like to have fun and I think life should be fun and I want other people to have fun. So I want to bring people along on this book journey to have fun. And I want to do work that to me is, you know, makes me money, but is also fun. And so if I'm saying yes to so many things, even if they do seem fun, they eventually will be beyond my capacity and it will, it will rob me of my joy, as my mother says. So what's success and what is enough? And don't let those things, don't get over your skis and let it rob you of your joy. I love that. Well, Matt and Joy, thank you so much for saying yes to this project. <laughs> and I really enjoyed our time together and um, wish you all the best thank you. In, in your future years of marriage. I know you have many, many more years. Oh. So thanks, you guys, so much for sharing your wisdom. Thank you. Thank, thank you for you, doing Kathy. this. I feel like it really is helpful for couples who are in this situation because it is it's a unique one. Mm -hmm. Definitely. It, it is. It is. So thanks so much for sharing your wisdom. Right. Take Thank care. You. you too. Bye-bye. Right. Thanks. Bye. Thanks so much for listening and coming along on this journey with us. If you enjoyed this episode, I'll bet you know someone else that might also find it helpful. Sharing an episode is super easy. You can also give a rating or leave a useful comment, and all of these things help the show rankings, which then helps others find the show. Thank you in advance for being an action taker. You can find a full transcript at kathyrushing.com. And if you have a burning question or a comment you'd like to leave, you can now leave me a voicemail, and I'll include it in a future episode. Just click the link in the show notes and voila, your voice will show up in my inbox. You're building a life together. Make it a great one. See you next time. Mm -hmm.